0: These mics work a whole lot better when they're on. <clears throat> it's just amazing. Well, good morning to you. Good to see everyone this morning. I have missed being in the pulpit over these past few weeks and uh, you know, scheduled some time for guest speakers in July. I was not really able to take much time off in July. I was still working and, and then took a revival, week of revival leave and preached a camp meeting and I recognized after that how tired I really was, uh, critically tired. And so it took two weeks just to rest and seek the Lord and pray and just spend some time just kind of rejuvenating. And so I'm very grateful that the Lord just kind of gave me a new energy, and so I'm thankful for that. And it's just been a good time of rest, but I've absolutely missed being here all the time, and I've missed being uh, here in this pulpit, I love you very much. I want you to know that, how grateful I am for my church family, how excited I am to serve the Lord with you, and I'm very excited to be back today and to preach uh, this morning. So, if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 4? And as you turn there, I want to just say how thankful I am for all those men of God who preached for us over the summer. Uh, I, th- those messages were challenging, were edifying, were encouraging. I'm grateful for each of them. I'm thankful for Ronnie Smith and Tommy Green. I'm thankful for Brock. I'm thankful for Dr. Byers and and all those who just brought the word uh, this summer. Uh, but today I want to I want to speak from Acts 4. Now, I'm thankful that Dr. Bias finished up chapter 7 of Hebrews for me and he and he preached chapter 8 for me in Hebrews so that when I get uh, back in the pulpit next week, we'll be back in chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, Lord willing, unless the Lord changes direction. Uh, This week, that's the intent to be back in Hebrews 9 uh, next week. But during my time, I really felt like the Lord desired for me to speak from Acts 4 and speak on this subject this morning. I'm going to be talking about living filled with the Spirit. So Acts chapter 4 verses 23 through 33 is my text for today. I want to ask you to pray with me. And then we're going to look at this text, and we're going to look at the subject of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be back today to preach the Word in my uh, church family, Lord. And I thank you for each person, Lord, that makes up this body of believers. Thank you for what you are doing in and through us. And we pray, Lord God, that our most effective and fruitful days are yet to come. We have a lot of work to do, Lord. And we cannot do this work that we're called to do uh, on our own. We don't have the gifts for it. We don't have the strength for it. We don't have the ability to do it. We need power that comes from you. And so you have given to us, Lord, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And I pray, Father, that we learn how to walk a spirit-filled life, that we might have the power to do what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray right now, Father, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, You would enable me to preach the Word. I can't do this without You. So I pray for clarity of mind. I pray for clarity of speech. I pray You'll deliver the Word through me, bring to my mind everything that needs to be said. And I pray this message is very clear. I pray it's delivered with compassion and conviction. And I pray You'll give everyone here and those listening online ears to hear what You have to say to them. So I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask this question. What are we missing? Now you may say, what do you mean by that? Why is it that in our uh, daily life, sometimes the struggles that we face are so profound and they're so paralyzing? uh, They just almost put us to a stop. And we sometimes just live with no real power to witness for christ and to serve him and we seem joyless and how how many christians sitting in this room today just have a sense of joylessness in your life i mean you just kind of feel blah you're just you're just empty inside what is it that we're missing because sometimes we'll look into the lives of other believers and we'll see a joy there. We'll see a power to serve and, and witness to others. And, and we're thinking to ourselves, what, where, where have we gone wrong here? What, what, what am I missing? What do they have that I do not have? And here's the answer many times. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have the Spirit of God in us if we're saved. But we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe there are many in the church today missing out on that. When one reads the book of Acts, it becomes very clear the prominent role the Holy Spirit played in the first century church. He gave them power to live boldly in very adverse circumstances. They faced much opposition They had a huge mission to take the gospel to the known world and to see the kingdom of God grow. How was it they were able to do that? They were able to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. They connected to the power of God through prayer. They were often filled fresh with the Holy Spirit through the practice of prayer. They were able to accomplish what they accomplished, not by their own abilities, not by their resources, not by their personal discipline, even though those things were important. They accomplished what was accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God who enabled them to live boldly in difficult environments. They were able to face great difficulties and endure great hardships and suffer through trials and yet experience a level of comfort. Matter of fact, right after a great persecution that took place, recorded in Acts 8 and 9, after the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, the Bible says in verse 31 of Acts chapter 9 that the the church finally had peace. There was a, a change of administration and leadership in some of those areas. and So because of that, the Jewish persecution against the church was curtailed to a certain degree. And the Word of God says this, That they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. How were they able to do what they did? Uh, They were able to do what they did by the power of the Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's in us. Now we're living in a difficult day. Uh, We are seeing an opposition to Christianity in our country. For a long time we have enjoyed a lot of favor that is Christians have in this nation. but we're seeing an increased level of opposition uh, to the things of God. There are Christians who are passed over for promotions because of their convictions. Some are in danger of losing their jobs because they're not accepting what the world is trying to shove down their throat in the workplace. And they're saying these things are against our convictions. And so some are losing their jobs. And this is just the beginning of what could become an increased and intense persecution against the church of Jesus Christ in this country. So we have to ask ourselves this question. How do we stay faithful? How do we stand in such a time? How are we to be fruitful for the kingdom of God in such a time? We will do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same way Christians have for centuries. Now look with me in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. We're going to see an example of this take place, where Christians stood boldly and faithfully in the middle of opposition. Now they had, Peter and John in particular, had been taken into custody because the Sadducees, some religious leaders who really set the culture, were the cultural leaders of the Jewish nation, had taken them into custody because they were preaching the resurrection of Christ on the temple grounds. They didn't like that, so they had imprisoned them and they interrogated them and sent them away with a warning, don't be preaching Jesus anymore. And so that's where we pick up in verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions, that is the church, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they, heard, uh, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and The rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done <clears throat> through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were, were, were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Boldness. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The main idea of this message this morning is that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me set the context of this passage. We'll back up for a moment to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, uh, Peter and John were headed to the temple one afternoon. <clears throat> and as they were headed to the temple, they went into the temple gate area. And as they did, there was a man who had been who, who every day was placed there by that gate to beg alms. That is, he's begging for money that he might have something to support himself. He'd been, he had been uh, lame since birth. He was 40 years old. The Scripture tells us. And he sees Peter and John coming in, and he locks his eyes on them, and he's expecting them to give him something. And the Scripture says that John and Peter, they locked their eyes on him, and Peter said to him, "'Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk.'" Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up and his ankles were strengthened and straightened and he was healed completely and he went through into the, into the temple area leaping and praising God at what had just taken place. And people saw this and they gathered around. This, this is the guy that's always by the, te- te- the, the temple gate. Look at him. I mean, he's, he's running around in here and praising the Lord. What has just happened? And they're looking at Peter and John, and Peter and John look at them and say, why are y'all looking at us like we did this? (laughs) Like it was our power or by our ability or our piety that it brought this about. This man was made well by faith in the name of Jesus. That's what they said. And they preached the gospel to them. and Acts chapter 3, verse 19, called them to repent and be converted that times of rejoicing may come from the presence of the Lord. So all this was going on and the religious leaders got word of this and they were mad because they were preaching Jesus there in the temple complex, the resurrection of Jesus. So they came and took them into custody. And because it was kind of late in the evening, they just went ahead and kept them in jail overnight until they could interrogate them the next day. Then in chapter 4, it begins with a little summary of what's taking place there. And the Word of God said that there were more who believed because there were, there were 5,000 men who believed. That's not counting women and children. There could have been uh, 15,000 to maybe 20,000 men, women, boys, and girls that had come to know Jesus Christ in that time span since, since the Holy Spirit came upon the first disciples. And Peter preached that first sermon there in, in Jerusalem. So the next day, they interrogated um, Peter and John. They were amazed at these men. They were uneducated, and yet they spoke with such authority and power. And um, the religious leaders came to this conclusion that we really can't argue with what took place because there's a notable miracle that's happened here. Everybody sees that. But I'm going to tell you all this. You better stop preaching Jesus. You, You just better stop. So Peter and John looked at them and and said, You know, whatever is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard, they said. So they were let go and they left there and they went back to the church. And in verse 23, we see that and... And they start telling their brothers and sisters in Christ what had happened. And by the way, let me just tell you what. That's a beautiful picture of the family the church needs to be. Y'all with me? The church is a family. We're to love each other, bear each other's burdens, rejoice when someone rejoices, weep when they weep, help them along, encourage one another, be that place where we can be strengthened in the fellowship of one another. That's what the people of God are to be, and sometimes that's not the way it is in some churches. There's always backbiting, fighting, critical of each other, judgmental of one another all the time, and looking down our noses at people. That's just not the way, that is not the way the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be. So they came and shared what, had, what they'd experienced, what they had been told. And here's what the response of the people of God, the brothers and sisters in Christ did. They went to pray. The Word of God says that they lifted their voice to God in one accord. Now that, that could mean that one person began to lead them in prayer while others agreed while that person was praying they were saying yes Lord hear what he's saying do what he's saying it could have been multiple people praying we don't, we don't know But they, they, they were praying in unity the corporate body of believers praying together which is another thing missing in the church today by the way and I'll tell you this folks we're not going to be able to do what God's called us to do without praying we're just not going to be able to do it we've got to connect with the power of God we see that all through the book of Acts also so they started out in one accord, lifting up their voice to God, and they, they begin to address there in uh, Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 24. So they heard and they raised their voice to God with one accord, and they said, Lord. Now that's not your normal word for Lord in the Greek, which is kyrios. Uh, this word is despotes. This word means one who holds complete power or authority over another. We get our word despot from that word. And so it talks about the sovereignty of the Lord is what they're doing. They're, they're addressing the sovereign Lord. And there's two things that are emphasized here uh, that, that really show his sovereignty. And by the way, ever who was praying had the scripture hidden in their hearts because they're, they're praying based on what the word of God says. But the first thing they said is they acknowledged him as creator. And the phrase that you see that they're praying about how he made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all this in it, that's throughout the Psalms. We find that in Exodus, find that in Genesis. It's all throughout the scripture. It's speaking of the creator God. Now, let me tell you why that's so significant in this prayer. Because they just heard a threat from their cultural leaders basically saying this, don't you obey God. Don't you obey what the Lord has told you to go do. And so what they did is they went to the creator. Let me tell you something about the creator. He's greater than the created, isn't he? (laughs) So they were talking to the one who had power over the others who had told them not to do what the creator told them to do. The second thing they did is they acknowledged how he's sovereign over the circumstances of life. Quoted Psalm 2 right here, a messianic Psalm, about how David predicted that uh, the powers at be would come together against the Lord's Christ. And that took place when Pilate and Herod and, and the Jews, the Gentiles all came together uh, against Christ at the crucifixion. But but God in his sovereignty and his foreknowledge saw the events that were going to take place. And instead of just stopping that, what God did is He chose to use that as the means by which His Christ would be crucified for the sin of the world. Let me tell you why that's so significant. Because when, he's, when they're praying, they're acknowledging this fact that even when things look bad, God is sovereign over those circumstances and often is using those various circumstances to advance His agenda. Somebody ought to said amen to that. And they're just, they're just focused in on his sovereignty and his greatness. And then in verse 29, they begin to ask some things. They didn't ask to be delivered. That'd have been all right to do that. Nothing wrong with being asked to be delivered. We see that elsewhere in Scripture. <clears throat> they asked three things. Number one, they, they asked, Lord, look on their threats. Look on their threats. You heard what they said. Now, why is that so significant? Because what they're deciding to do is this. Lord, you focus in on their threats and deal with that. We're not going to focus on that threat. We're going to focus on you. That's what we ought to start doing, right? Instead of focusing on all the dangers and, oh, and what, this might happen or that might happen or we can't do this or that, we should stop focusing on the problem and start focusing on God. And so they, they did. They look at, you look at the threats, Lord. And then he went on to say that they ask for boldness to speak the Word of God. They had no intention of not doing what God told them to do. They were going to do what he said to do. So they just asked, Lord, help us to be bold in carrying out your will. We're going to be focused on the task of evangelism like you told us to be focused on. We're going to go make disciples. Third, they asked that signs and wonders might accompany them, that miracles might take place, not to have some kind of show, not to have some kind of a big show where people are you know, going all kinds of crazy ways and, and trying to focus in on those things and exalting some healer. you do these things to verify the message of the gospel is what they ask so while they were praying they were finishing up the very place in which they were praying shook now sometimes what God does is he gives us an outward sign when his people really do need encouragement he don't always do that But in this case, he gave them this outward sign. That place shook. It was a reminder of his presence with them. And then the Bible says they were all, the whole church, they were all filled with the Spirit. That was not a first feeling for them, that was a fresh feeling. Peter had already been, the Bible records, where he was filled with the Spirit when he was before the religious leaders. When He was answering back, He was filled with the Spirit. And so they were empowered to go do what God told them to do. Now, let me tell you a couple things about the Holy Spirit. First, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit is drawing you and working in you to enlighten you, to draw you to Christ... When you get saved, you call on the Lord to be your Savior. It is the Spirit of God that begins to work regeneration in your life. You're born again. You become a new creation. Your sin is forgiven. You're made right before God. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. When you get saved, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He comes to live within you. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, after Peter preached that great sermon on Pentecost and the people were cut to the heart and they didn't know what to do. They said, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you repent, then the Holy Spirit comes upon you and He's He's there in you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says, If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. So a person who's saved has the Spirit of God in him or her. But let me tell you something else about the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we're going to be filled with the Spirit many times. We're going to be filled over and over, fresh filling of the Spirit. We should seek the filling of the Holy Spirit every day. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you four things about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. We're commanded in Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I don't have time to go into all the detail of that verse and to make the comparisons there a person under the influence and control of alcohol to the point where they don't do what they normally or they do what they normally would not do and then being controlled with the Spirit of God that we're enabled to do things that we could not do on our own. I don't have time to make all that comparison but let me just draw your attention to one word and that's the word filled there. That Greek verb is a present, passive, imperative, plural. Now, you may say, well, big deal. (laughs) But when you parse that verb out, it means something. The present tense means you keep on being filled. It's not a one-time event. Now, you're baptized with the Spirit of God one time when you get saved but you're filled with the Holy Spirit multiple times in life as you surrender to the Lord daily. You submit to Him. The Holy Spirit fills your life. So it literally means keep on being filled. Now it's in the passive voice. The passive voice, sometimes it's called a theological passive. It means that God is doing the filling. You don't fill yourself. God fills you we have a responsibility to get to a point where we can be filled. But it's God who does the filling. It's plural, which means it's for everybody, not some elite class. It's for every Christian. And it's in the imperative um, mood, which means it's a command. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, which means we have a responsibility before God to put ourselves in the position to be filled with the Holy Spirit Every day <clears throat> sometimes people are saved and they're not discipled and and they don't exercise their disciplines of seeking the Lord and really growing in the Lord and they don't, they don't understand about being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and and they'll just get to a point in their Christian life where they're just so drab and everything is just so they just feel so joyless and they just think something's missing and and uh in their life, and they'll start calling out, "God, I want all of you, I want every I, I want more of you." and It's what often people will say, but what happens is a person gets to a point where they just want him more than anything, and they surrender to him and they repent of the way they've been living and And, and what happens is the Holy Spirit fills them. Up. suddenly they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's dramatic. that's why sometimes people believe it's the second work of grace when in fact, they had the Spirit in them all the time. They just wasn't to a point of surrender. When the Spirit of God fills you, it is, it is a miraculous thing that happens. You know it. You, you, you sense the power. Those people there in Acts chapter 4, they, they knew that they, there was a fresh sense of God's presence and power in their lives as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says walk in the spirit the word walk there peripateo in the Greek means to conduct your life it's also an imperative it's the same thing as being filled with the spirit to walk in the spirit is to be filled with the spirit we're commanded to be filled with the spirit a second thing I want to say about this is that we benefit greatly by being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus said this to his first disciples, Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. In other words, don't don't go out and start doing this work until I first endue you with power. That is, that's when the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. There's no way they could go do what they'd been commanded to do. They could not live the way they needed to live in the world. They could not do the work that they needed to do without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you some things that happen when you're filled with the Spirit, the way He gives us power. Number one, He gives us power to witness. Do you know there are 275 million lost people in America? Do you know that? There's 275 million lost people in America. The, the millennial generation, there's about 18% of that generation that are now entering their 40s <coughs> that are in church. Gen Z, Barna says, is the first post-Christian generation. Only a tiny sliver of Gen Z, born between, I think, around 99 to 2015, are involved in, in church uh, at all. It only takes one generation to lose, it, to lose it. That's why we've got to be doing everything we can to reach that generation with the gospel of Jesus. Uh, we are, we're seeing an... In, I was talking to some folks last week at the North American Mission Board. I was talking to our representatives in Canada. And they were talking about how hostile the people my age, your age are to the gospel. Now, some of the younger ones there are actually a little bit more open. They've not heard much. and They're a little bit more open, more open, I think, than American younger people are. What he told me was the ethnic groups in Canada, the gospel is exploding among the ethnic groups in, in, in Canada. We're here to reach people with the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice where they were to start. They were to start in Jerusalem. That's where they lived. Where to start? Chipley, Washington County, surrounding areas. We're to be reaching people with the gospel. We're planted here for that reason. We're going to stand before the Lord and be accountable one day to how we've been reaching the people of this community for Christ. Uh, Judea, outside the region, Samaria, outside this, uh, this nation, maybe in, in, the, in the near areas, the ends of the earth, wherever there are people, we have responsibility to take the gospel. But notice this, the Word of God tells us that we're enabled to be witnesses by the power of the Spirit. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Jesus came and lived a holy, sinless life, died on a cross for the sins of the world, rose again the third day because we're sinners. We need to be reconciled to God, and through His provision we can be. Do you know if we'll take that message and we'll start telling people about it, The Spirit of God will enable us. If we're filled with the Spirit, He will enable us to witness to other people. A lot of times we make every excuse in the world why we can't. Well, I'm not good at it. This is not my thing. Well, God told us it's our thing, whether you think it's your thing or not. (laughs) We're called to do it. And if we'll be filled with the Spirit, He'll give us the power to witness. To people around us. He enables that. Secondly, He enables us to understand the Word of God better. John 16, 13 says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will tell you things to come. He enables us to understand the Word of God. Third, He gives us power to live holy. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, <clears throat> you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What that means is the Holy Spirit gives us the power to say no to sin and to put it to death and not let it rule in us. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace And joy in the Holy Spirit. Meaning the Spirit of God not only gives us the power not to do what we're not supposed to do, but He also gives us the power to do what we are supposed to do. Righteousness. Right behavior. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. He gives us the power... To live holy. When we're filled with the Spirit, we have power to live the way He wants us to live. Fourth, He gives us power to exer- or to experience the pleasure of Christ. Galatians 5:22 and 23 says, "But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law. Now, let me focus in on that joy and peace because the joy and peace that you can have when you're filled with the Spirit of God is far superior to any pleasure you can experience in this world. Y'all with me? When you're filled with the Spirit of God and you begin to have this that that joy, that peace that comes in a closeness with Christ, you recognize how futile the things of the world really are. How those things can't compare. That's That's why the Word of God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When the Spirit of God's filling a person, there is a joy about them, a peace about them fifth he gives power to do god's work acts chapter 4 verse 33 gives us uh indicator there he gives the power to do the work we're called to do to witness to do whatever it is he's called us to do and do you know that you and i need to be filled with the spirit to be effective in ministering properly in acts chapter 6 there was a problem in the church there was excessive growth it was a multi ethnic church multicultural church coming together uh, there was the Hellenistic Jews, the the Greek Jews that had gotten saved, and the Bible says that their widows were being neglected. They were not receiving the daily food distribution. And that was a problem. And the apostles said, "We can't leave the ministry of the Word to go take care of this. So I want you to go choose seven men, And they gave three qualifications for them. They were to be of good reputation. Uh, they were to be wise and they were to be filled with the Spirit. They needed to be filled with the Spirit to properly carry out serving food to others. Have you ever thought about that? When folks drive up in this parking lot, our wonderful parking lot guys, they're going to be effective when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. When people walk in and they see a greeter... Those greeters are going to be effective when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Those welcome desk people are going to be effective when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Connect group leaders, Sunday school teachers are going to be effective when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to minister well and be effective when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we can go through the motions, but we will not have our greatest effectiveness until we're filled with the Spirit. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. The Word of God teaches us that if we don't love properly, if we don't minister to others out of a biblical love, then we're nothing. The Scripture says. And what's the first fruit of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians five twenty two? Anybody know? Love. So, when we let me read this verse to you. These verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses one, 1 and 2. The Bible says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and, not, and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So if we're not ministering out of love, we're not going to be near as effective. And you can't minister out of biblical love until you're full of the Spirit of God. Because He helps us love beyond human capabilities. These are some of the benefits of being filled with the Spirit. But now let me show you a third thing about being filled with the Spirit. We are often not filled with the Spirit. We're commanded to be. We know it benefits us greatly, but we're often not filled with the spirit why why are we not filled with the holy spirit because of sin disobedience a neglect of god that's that puts us into a place where we're not being filled with the spirit 1st Thessalonians 5:19 says it's a command to it's it's an imperative also do not quench the spirit that word quench means to douse Fire. The energy and the power of the Spirit is doused by the disobedience of God's people. I think there's some common things. I, I, I think God put some things on my heart over the, well, several weeks ago actually, to speak on today that I think sometimes quenches the Spirit in our lives. And one is we don't love biblically sometimes. Not loving biblically quenches the Spirit of God. I believe it's common. Uh, in the church. Now, this is one of the most loving churches you'll ever find. I mean, this is some of the most loving people you'll ever be around. But, you know, the Word of God teaches us that we ought to increase and abound in love. We should pursue it. Paul tells Timothy two times to pursue love. Paul tells the Corinthian church to pursue love. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever said to yourself, I want to love better. I want to love in a, in a more biblical way. That doesn't mean that you accept sin and you celebrate sin. That's what the world's definition of love is. But I'm talking about a bib you want to love biblically. Has that ever been a goal in your life? I want to pursue loving more biblically. This is one of the most devastating spirit quenching things when we don't do that. And here's some ways I think this, this fleshes out sometimes in the church, because we'll do things like gossip which is not love. Y'all know that? And small towns, we're pretty bad about gossiping, aren't we? People surf Facebook looking for, and they'll see something, hmm, what's going on here? And they'll start jumping to all kinds of conclusions and calling people and texting people, and what do you think about this? And, uh, and we'll do that. Sometimes we'll jump to conclusions about people that we don't even really know well. We observe a few things in their lives, and we form this conclusion about them, and then we go tell somebody else about that, and we poison those people's minds with our false conclusions. Sometimes that happens in Sunday school classes. Or even when people are working together serving the Lord, they're saying all these things, and they're, that, that quenches the Spirit. That, that does the enemy's work when we do that we may be offended by someone someone may have offended us and they may it may have been absolutely unintentional they had no malice whatsoever but it's some way we took something and we're offended which by the way uh we don't need to be offended so easily uh and and so we'll we'll just start getting all irritated and mad at that person and and, and we'll will withdraw from them and refuse to show biblical love, like kindness and patience with them, and uh, those kind of things. Uh, and instead of just going to them and having a conversation about things, that's people don't do that anymore. I don't think they just don't. They they're not going to go sit down with somebody and and get to know them or find out if this is real or not or. They just jump to conclusions. You know, the Word of God says in Psalm... I read this last night. Psalm 101, verse 5 says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, I will destroy. Now, I thank God for forgiveness for that, because I've gossiped before, too, and I know some of you have, too, haven't you? Y'all do your head like that. Don't be lying. Let's don't add lying to that, okay? Well, we just need to stop, don't we? Sometimes we can't hardly help it, but we just need to learn to self-control. There. Now, if somebody starts telling you something about somebody, you might want to just say, now, hang on a second. Have you actually talked to them about that? Have you verified that? If not, let's just don't, let's just don't talk. Now, when we start doing that, then you start shutting down a little bit of the, uh, of the gossip that takes place uh, so, so often. It's just not an act of love. Here's another thing that quenches the Spirit, anger. We're living in an angry society, and it spills over into the church a lot of times too, doesn't it? We I mean, just get so angry about stuff so quickly, and, and it quenches the spirit of God. And, and the Bible teaches us that we're to be slow to wrath. We're to be one of the one of the attributes of biblical love is long suffering. That means to have a have a long fuse. Well, here's another thing I think that quenches the spirit, and that is worldliness. 1 John two fifteen through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all this in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life... Lust of the flesh is not just sexual sin. It's just desiring what our what our humanity wants that the world offers us. Sometimes that becomes more important to us than the things of God, and we'll chase after those things. Well, I could give you. I'm about done here, so I can't go into all the detail. But there's a lot of examples I could give you. Let me give you one that we don't think of very much, and this this and here may may cause us to go, Oh me. Here's now we. I, We pretty much know some of the things that we consider worldly, but do you know that sometimes one of the biggest spirit-quenching worldly pursuits within the church is when the people of God put traditionalism above the Word of God? Boy, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. You may say, well, I don't believe that, Pastor. I think you're you're going, well, I'm going to just tell you what I can do. I can take you to a whole bunch of churches that are deader than a hammer. And I'm going to tell you why they're dead. Because they worshiped their tradition and not their Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's not, there's not things wrong with certain traditions, but when you start putting those things above the Lord, and they, you won't change because of it, I won't change because of it because I prefer this or that, we quench the Spirit of God. We'll quench the Spirit of God. You all right? <laughs> he said, Welcome back. <laughs> well, this is things the Lord put on my heart. Now, I'll tell you this. If I didn't love the people that God's called me to serve, I'd, I'd be more concerned about self-preservation than telling the truth of God. There's different difference in a preacher that loves himself and loves his people. Isn't that right, Brother Al? Well, let me just move on. I'm going to skip that next one. Let's get on down to the last one here. And that is, let me talk about how we are filled with the Spirit to close out this message. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It benefits us to be filled with the Spirit. We're often not filled with the Spirit. And the reason is because we sin. We disobey God. How is it that we are filled with the Spirit? Let me give you three things that really go together. First, you have to understand, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must be surrendered to the Lord. You must want Him more than anything. You want to obey Him above all things. Not yourself. You want to obey Him. That puts you in the position to be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, we are, to sub, we, have, we are to be submitted to the Word of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You're so full of the Word of God that, that you, that's what you want to live by, His Word, and it transforms your life. Third, we're devoted to prayer. If you'll notice in Acts chapter 4, These brothers and sisters, our spiritual forefathers, were in prayer before a sovereign God desiring to submit their whole lives to obey Him. And it was in that act of prayer, of submission to His will, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And when you're filled with the Spirit, your life changes. Here's some things that happened to them. They began to speak the Word of God boldly. They lived and they spoke boldly. Secondly, they were unified. They were of one mind and soul. There was a unity about them that was fostered by their fact they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Third, they biblically loved each other. They didn't even consider the things they had their own. If somebody needed it, they'd give it because they had such love for one another. And fourth. The power of God was with them. And that's what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of us need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're missing out on the power and pleasure of the Lord. So what should we do right now? What I'd encourage you to do right now is to say, Lord, Uh, You've identified some things in my life that's causing me to quench the Spirit. And I want to confess that today. I want to repent of that. I want to stop doing it. I want to turn to you and obey you. Lord, I'm just surrendering my life to you today so that you'd just fill me with the Holy Spirit. And if we're willing to confess that sin and get those things right and truly we're wanting to surrender to Him, then He'll fill us with the Spirit. He'll give us new power, a new sense of His presence to live for Him. But some, some today need to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. You've never, you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life because you've never been saved. And you've come to realize that you need a relationship with God, but you also know that your sin separates you from God. But you believe that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to atone for your sin And you're willing to turn from your sin today and trust Him to be your Lord and Savior. And if you'll do that today, what will happen to you is you'll get saved. He'll save you. And the Holy Spirit will come to live within you. You may need to talk to somebody about being saved today. So when we stand to sing in a minute, you come down the aisle and let us know that you want Jesus as your Savior. But let's use this time. Many of us just need to use this time to say, Lord, forgive me for the way I've been living it. I just don't want to quench the spirit. I want to be filled with the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for being with us today. Thank you for this word. I pray, Lord God, we'll take your word and we'll live it out. Lord, I pray, Father, right now that you're at work among us. I pray that all we can think about right now is just getting things right with you and and just being submitted to you so that we every day walk in the power of the spirit. We have a new power to live our lives for you every day. Help us to understand this, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name.